Welcome back to the NBA's most valuable podcast. We're back from hiatus, and the NBA is about to restart. I'm John Gallardo. I'm Jeffrey Tran. And you're listening to the NBA's most valuable podcast on Spotify and now on YouTube, thanks to the power of Zoom. So, Jeff, I just want to catch up with you real quick. What have you been up to lately since uh, the world basically shut down? Yeah, um, I'm just trying to keep busy. You know, the hiatus of this pandemic has changed the world and changed everyone's plans. You know, I moved out of Ottawa and uh, I'm just trying to organize my life just like everyone else is. Um, How about you? Well, good news for me. I happened to graduate after, um, you know, four years of university at Carleton. I got my degree and it's actually like standing across, not standing, it's it's on the shelf across from me. I haven't gotten a frame for it yet, but that was good news that I got my diploma and I'm done with school. And I'm starting to write up for this uh, NBA site called Ball and Roll. It's a site based here in Toronto and I'm writing NBA articles for them and I'll also be doing their podcast very soon. So exciting stuff coming soon for me and... Uh, yeah, but on that discussion of the world changing since we've last done our podcast, a global pandemic definitely almost shut down everything. And we did learn to normalize a lot of things that we weren't comfortable with doing before, like wearing masks or frequently sanitizing our hands. But I think the most important thing that's come up over the last couple of months is the discussion around social justice. And it's never been more important in this day and age. So getting into the NBA restart, some players and staff around the league have definitely questioned whether coming back to play would whether, whether it be too much of a distraction for the ongoing discussions around social activism and racial equality. And now that the NBA has decided to return to play, the association definitely bears a responsibility to use this platform to promote social justice. So to begin, Jeff, I want to ask you, from what you've seen so far around the league, what are your impressions on what people are doing and what these various teams are doing in order to promote social justice? I would like to say, first of all, that this isn't new, as in this has been a long, long issue uh, for years. Um, and the M- this is not the first time um, the NBA and the NBA players have talked about these issues. I remember um, several years back with the I Can't Breathe t-shirts um, and the pro- wearing with LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and all the NBA players wearing those shirts um, to spread awareness. Um, I think that it is important for people with influence to speak up on these issues because their voices matter. <coughs> Sorry. And I think it's great that a lot of the players have spoken up um, and the NBA, I think that they've done the best job out of all the leagues to respond to the outcry of and seriousness of these issues. Um, I think that for example, having the Black Lives Matter logo being planted on the, 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 
the, the floors are amazing. Um, but of course, there, we can still do more. Um, and um, I think that's why a lot of these players, they've decided to put um, their logo, like on the back of their jerseys, they want to put customized logos such as um, Black Lives Matter and other and others customizable uh, slogans. So I think that with doing that, that's going to just continue the conversation. Are we doing enough? I don't think so, but um, it's a good start for sure. I certainly think from what I've seen, like I'd have to agree with you, the NBA is doing one of the better jobs in promoting social justice around sports just in general. But um, what I want to see from both players, teams, and the association in general is what can we do beyond just putting Black Lives Matter on the floor? What can we do beyond putting equality on the back of our jersey? Of course, those are very powerful and important statements to make in this day and age. But I think, especially in the time where social media and you know messages are all over the place, I think it's important to still go out there and make a change, whether that's going out to protests, which players have done, or making a change by donating and um, contributing to the bales of protesters. I think that's very important in order to contribute on that side as well. And I just also want to bring up how um, it's very important to educate yourselves among Mm -hmm. anything else. As a person of color myself, I can't fully understand the struggles that a black man or a black woman would have to go through in America or in Canada. And I think as people of color or even as people that aren't of color, it's important to understand those struggles because everybody deals with different things. And at the same time, if we want to build a more inclusive and equal playing field for everybody, it starts with understanding the struggles of other people. And also I I think that, you know, there are some people, there's not many, but there are people who talked about how um, athletes shouldn't speak up on these issues because sports is supposed to be a place to escape the politics. But I obviously disagree with that. Um, I remember a few years ago when um, Le- LeBron James was, I believe, talking about Donald Trump and uh, a Fox reporter I uh, can't remember her name, I think, but she was on her show. Basically, tell, she said, in quote, like, to, tell, to LeBron to shut up and dribble because, you know, he didn't, she didn't think that he should be speaking up on these type of issues. And I disagree because these athletes, um, so many people look up to them. And they just because they're athletes does not mean that they don't have opinions. They don't deserve opinions, freedom of speech. And I think it's great when um, these players can really talk about the issues that affect them and their community. Um, The NBA is filled with predominantly black athletes. So it is so important that the league takes an important big stance on this because we want I mean, they want to be able to spread the right message to the communities, you know, um, and inspire change. And I think that's the bigger goal. I think that even Dwight Howard, when he was um, contemplating whether he should return to play or not, 
one of the things he was thinking about, one of the things that he was saying was that he would take like fundamental system, systemic change in society over an NBA championship, which speaks volumes to, of course, how important this issue is and why it is important for the league and the players to take an important stance. And especially when we talk about players like LeBron James, he's one of the most um, well thought out people when it comes to speaking out about social justice. Because there are instances where players or even people in general, whether it's on your social media feed or on, um, you know, at the dinner table where people just can say these things, but they don't necessarily think them out well or they don't research which it comes into the case of Steven Jackson, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson from the NFL, and then recently Draymond Green talking about how Black Lives Matter, and this is not the direct quote, but Black Lives Matter isn't something that necessarily pertains to Canada, but they still put it on their bus for the Raptors. And mm-hmm. when you see athletes speak out in that sense where it's, they didn't do their research, it's almost disappointing where they have that platform to make a real change, but then they go, they go and say something like that. I think it's above every, everything else. It's so important to educate yourselves on these issues. And that's the first step into taking action. It's acknowledging that this is a problem in our society and we need to learn in order to make a real change. So I think the NBA has a big opportunity here to, make real change. They definitely have the platform, both in North America and globally, because the issue doesn't just pertain to Canada or the United States. Racial injustice is everywhere. And I think the NBA has the power and the platform in order to strive to make better change in the world. But with that going, with that being said, the NBA is going to start to play basketball they actually have started playing basketball already with the scrimmage games. So, Jeff, what's going on with the NBA restart logistics? How are we getting back to play? Or what's their slogan called? A whole new game? Is that what they're calling it? So it's the return to play tournament. Uh, 22 teams have been invited um, to Orlando's Disney World. Uh, they will be playing at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. Um, the games, of course, do not have fans. Uh, to follow the safety protocols, um, but there are currently modifications to create the, bat, the, the basketball atmosphere to the best of their abilities, um, including um, team arena sounds. Um, I know, like for example, with the Raptors games that I've watched, the scrimmage games, I've heard the iconic like like horn after a three pointer. Um, so basically, right now they are currently playing scrimmage games. Uh, just to get back into the flow of a season for a lot of these players. They haven't played, a lot of these players haven't played basketball in a while, so this is just a way to get back into it. Um, and the, the season officially resumes uh, on July 30th. Uh, these games will determine the seeding of the playoffs, which will be held, will be held in mid-August. Right, and just to make it clear, these scrimmage games that they're playing, each team gets three scrimmage games, and they don't count towards the final seeding. The seeding games are actually 
going to take place on, I believe, when was it? The, the seeding games are going to take place July 31st. That's when they're going to yeah, start. Yeah. The Raptors yeah. have their first game on August 1st versus the Lakers. And mm-hmm. in terms of how they're functioning in the bubble, um, so what they're doing here basically is they're testing players every day, every morning. They get a temperature check. And then they also do testing before practices. So they get like cotton swab under the nose, under both nostrils and under their tongue, I believe. Um, So what's been most remarkable to me anyways, is how there have been zero cases inside the bubble so far. And I think that's really remarkable considering the MLB is coming back to play as well. They're actually playing games already and they had to deal with an outbreak with a team. I believe it was maybe the Mariners. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure, but I remember seeing that on my feed. Also, Florida is one of the worst states with uh, coronavirus. So that's it's one of the I global hotspots. Yeah. So it's just remarkable in general that they've been able to maintain that bubble. But recently in the news, if you heard, Lou Williams uh, was seen at a club. Mm-hmm. He was seen at a club when he was on excused absence. Well, actually, so there's a funny story with that. Actually, Lou Williams explained uh, why he went there. Um, he was talking about how um, in Atlanta, the best food are at strip clubs. So he went to this place. I uh, can't remember the name, but strictly for the food. So he wasn't, the, the narratives of, oh, he's uh, using this, high, this uh, excuse to leave to go to a strip club is kind of like a little not true because, I mean, he he did go to the strip club, but he went to it to that place for food. So he did clarify that. So it it makes it a little bit better. It's kind of funny, but it's a, it's a regular thing enough, according to him. So. And see, the thing is with the NBA's protocol rules regarding this restart is that they're they're really not messing around. So yeah. because Lou Williams um, was spotted at that nightclub he has to do a 10-day quarantine, and he's actually going to miss the first two games of the Clippers reseeding games. So they're not messing around with the infection. They know how how infectious this disease can be. And I remember even a a couple weeks back, maybe like two, there was a center on the Kings. He was trying to get some food, and um, he crossed this line that he wasn't supposed to cross, and then he got hit with that 14-day quarantine. So you can tell that the NBA is taking this really seriously. I do also want to mention that it is unfortunate that there are people in the United States that can't have access to this amazing testing. And from the media that that I've consumed and that I've listened to, there are a lot of people that are aware of this. There was a writer from the Washington Post that was mentioning how it's so amazing that players and even like staff in the bubble have this access to constant testing and they get fast results back too. Whereas in the States, as you know, there was lots of um, difficulties in receiving testing kits in a lot of States. So the, the situation in the bubble is definitely um, in, in sort of in the hotspot of Florida, it's a miracle in itself, but it's also a, a big luxury and a, and it's very um, 
it's a very fortunate situation for the league to have this testing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, there are a lot of financial high stakes in this, obviously. The, the point of the return to play is obviously just to a bit, a big reason for that is monetary reasons. So of course, unfortunately that comes with privileges that these athletes have that unfortunately other people don't but that's the state of the united states right now i guess you know uh not to get too political but the country obviously hasn't done very well uh with this whole pandemic obviously i mean the state of the global economy is like just down in general stocks have been plummeting and the NBA, like we were talking about the restart, a big factor into why they decided to play is because of the financial losses that they would have had if they didn't play. They were already dealing with a loss of sponsorships in the early season with sponsors from China pulling out due to the whole uh, Houston Rockets and Daryl Morey situation. So they were kind of put at uh, almost so between a rock and a hard place where if they didn't play the season, then the financial ramifications would be felt throughout the next couple seasons. So they had to return to play somehow. And I think in general, they're doing a really good job of managing the bubble. And fingers crossed that, you know, they don't get any major outbreaks. And a big talking point of the bubble playoffs, if you want to call it, or the bubble tournament, I don't know what people are calling it, but a big talking point about it is that this is going to be like one of the hardest championships ever to be won by a team because every team has been moved to a neutral site. If you don't count Orlando, who is, you know, technically on their home home turf, but obviously there are no fans. So that's a big factor into it. And again, these players are going to be away from their families contained in this bubble. So they're going to be gone for an extended period of time. And, a lot of people have said that there should be an asterisk on the champions that win this season. But in my opinion, this is, this might be one of the biggest, like, you know, sporting achievements ever. I mean, it's the same playing field, right? That's like the circumstances shouldn't be value. The fact that everyone's playing in the same circumstances. Um, obviously there's going to be differences. I think the interesting dynamic, uh, especially with playoff games, is going to be the atmosphere. Um, because the, the playoff atmosphere is just a unique experience. It can make or break a, a player, you know. Some people can, who, some players can excel in that pressure. Some players falter to that pressure. Now that is eliminated. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I, I, playing games without, um, the arena sound is, have been, pretty interesting i remember when uh sports was just getting back um i think it, ufc was one of the first um sports to get back into action and the difference in atmosphere watching those fights is completely different because there's no crowd and you can hear the athletes yelling at each other and now with uh, uh, watching the scrimmage games um They've tried to replicate, like I said earlier, some of the sounds of the arena sounds like just the, the unique team arena sounds like the Raptors at the horn. Um, but it's not necessarily the same without the crowd, the chance, you know. Um, I remember one of the games with, when Terrence Ross, I think he hit a buzzer beater, uh, a half court shot. 
And it was weird because usually with a half court shot, everyone would be like, whoa, you know, but it was just complete dead silence, basically. So with the playoffs, um, the narratives of the playoffs is going to be very interesting for sure. And see, like some of the things that come with playoffs, the, the, the typical NBA playoff is going to be eliminated. So some players are going to like that and some players are not going to like that. The prospect of having no fans in the arena is definitely weird. Um, just coming from a viewer's perspective. For sports like UFC, it's it's an interesting dynamic because you can hear the thuds of the punches and the kicks. And it's like really intense because they're like, you know, one-on-one combat. And I think a little bit of that can play into um, how the NBA is doing their restart because for the most part, the game sounds are pretty loud, but you can still hear some things on the court. You can hear players like streaming like, yeah, I just dumped on you. Whoa. Like, you know they're still going to get hype when they do something. It's just going to be weird when no one's cheering at all. And it's quiet because obviously, you know, these players, they're used to doing this thing. They're used to seeing these things. Whereas if you're a fan, you're obviously going to scream if, you know, Steph Curry hits like a full core shot or, you know, LeBron gets a 360 dunk or whatever. But I think it's really interesting that they're going to be bringing in fans still virtually. They're going to be putting them on the, um, I don't know what they call them. They're like TVs, but they're put, they're going to put 300 fans in a, I assume a zoom call. And then that's going to be like the fan spectatorship for that game. And the team that will have those fans will be um, the home court team. So there's this also this talk about how, Oh, I guess seating doesn't really matter because we're playing on a neutral site or there still are going to be fans just virtually. So it could play a factor into teams such as Toronto that have avid fan bases um, that violently or well, not violently, that's like a strong word, passionately support their team. Um, and even like you think of Boston as one of those teams too, that can benefit from that. But there are also teams that can benefit from playing at the neutral side because, you know, they don't have like the greatest team support. So mm-hmm. I think, the NBA is really trying their best to make it on an equal playing field. And that narrative of the 2020 champion should have an asterisk or an asterisk that sh- that, that should be just be done. That people shouldn't talk about that anymore. In my opinion. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's basketball. And if anything, I think it's going to be even again, more challenging because there was just this, I, I th- what I've learned about from how, what athletes have talked about is routine matters to them, right? So everything about this is different, you know, like right now, this should be like August 20, uh, sorry, July 22nd, I was 27th. Um, it, it shouldn't be like still the off season right now for a lot of these players, you know, and having the season uh, cancel uh, or be cut early on, and then have this month of just no action and then all of a sudden being forced into action again um, in a short amount of time, um, that sh- I think should make it even more difficult because it's not what they're typically used to. This is different. So there shouldn't be an asterisk. They're playing basketball. And um, at the end of the day, the best team wins. And going into those teams, uh, for the most part, the playoff standings are pretty set in the Eastern Conference. 
Washington is too far away to force a playing game unless they do exceptionally well in their um, seeding games and the AC doesn't do well. So then maybe they can force a play-in. But I think one of the more interesting storylines going into these seeding games is the eighth seed in the West. So there's currently three teams that are probably the most likely teams in order to get this eighth spot. And that's currently the Grizzlies that have the eighth spot and are currently in position to make the playoffs. Whereas um, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers are trailing behind them. And any team that's like in the spot of the ninth spot that ends up getting the ninth position needs to be within four games of the eighth seed in order to force a playing tournament. And I just want to explain how this playing tournament works real quick. So if, if a team like, let's say the Pelicans, for example, are four games behind the Memphis Grizzlies, they're going to force a playing tournament where those two teams are going to play. And if the eighth seed Memphis Grizzlies win that first game, then they go to the playoffs. But if they lose that game, they play a second game. The two teams, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies, they play a second game. And the winner of that game will go to the playoffs. So basically, eighth seed gets, you know, the one win. If they take one win, then they go. Whereas the ninth seed needs to win two games. So I just want to talk about those two teams, the Memphis Grizzlies, or those three teams, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, and the Blazers. Out of those three teams, who do you like the best in terms of making the playoffs? Ooh, I, you know, that's the thing about the West, first of all, that, you know, the East has improved, but at the end of the day, the West got, Western Conference is still the hardest conference. And for me, it's a tough one. I think that, like, the Pelicans' insurgence um, is really reliant on dependent on uh, Zion and how much he can carry that team, I would definitely say. Even though, you know, the improvements of Ingram um, help make the team also help, sorry, also helped improve the team. Um, So to me, it's between the Blazers and the Grizzlies. Um, I personally would love to see the Grizzlies have the eighth seed because they're a young, exciting team. I remember the drama back early in the season with Andre Iguodala refusing to play as a team um, um, because he didn't really take them as a serious contender, which somewhat true, but I still see them as a young, exciting team. I love to play with John Morant. Um, love, um, love, oh, well, first of all, love seeing former Raptor Jonas Valanciunas finding a home there. Um, Josh Jackson, a nice young player. Brandon Clark. Uh, Dylan Brooks, fellow Canadian. Uh, I just really like that young team, and it would, I think they would provide the most challenge uh, for, um, in the playoffs versus the, um, the Portland Trailblazers, which they're basically they've basically been the same team for the past how many years? I mean, they went they're the team that like pushed the the Warriors. I'm sorry, made it to the uh, Western Conference Finals against the Warriors last year. Um, they still don't look like a serious contending team, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and then, you know, you got Carmelo Anthony, you got Hassan Whiteside, 
but I don't see them as a serious contender. And um, I would be more likely to, I would love to see what Memphis does with that eight seed for sure. That's interesting that you say that because the way I see it is that the Blazers are actually have benefited. Well, one of the teams that have benefited the most from the restart due to the fact that Nurkic has had enough time to get healthy and he's back in the lineup. And can I say that he played super like really well for a player that's been out for majority of the season versus the Raptors in their scrimmage. And Mm. I think Nurkic is one of those players that's like a walking mismatch for most of the league because he's just so big and so skilled. He's kind of like a Nikola Jokic type, but I kind of see him more as like a bruising version of him. His game is like more based on like physicality and intensity. But um, out of those three teams, I'd actually have to say that I like the prospect and I'm not saying I'm picking the, this team, but I like the prospect of the Pelicans making it just to see the battle between Zion Williamson and LeBron James. That's basically, you know, like if, if Jordan was still playing in 2003, when um, LeBron came into the league or, you know, those matchups of Jordan versus Kobe would be kind of like one of those passing the torch moments or, well, maybe not passing the torch, but putting those like, you know, the face of the league versus the future face of the league. The NBA would definitely love that matchup and it would be um, one that a lot of people would tune into. But in terms of basketball and thinking about the team that has the best chance, I think it would actually be the Blazers just because of the fact that they've been able to get healthy along with um, Nurkic's uh, emergence back into the lineup. I think... Sorry, what's, what would be the setup with the Portland Trailblazers, right? Because uh, Nurkic is a center and Hassan Whiteside is a center. So would they would Nurkic play the four or who's playing, who's starting as the center and who's the backup center then there? I don't think, um, I don't think they play Whiteside and Nurkic together just because the spacing isn't that great. Yeah. Nurkic can shoot the three, but having two big guys down low generally isn't like a good lineup nowadays. I think once Nurkic is healthy and like, you know, he's ready to play those big minutes, he'll be the starter over Whiteside. And personally, I've never been a big fan of Whiteside's game. I just think that he's kind of like a Russell Westbrook type of um, player and not to knock Russell Westbrook, but he just gets this rap that he chases stats and Whiteside's kind of the same in the fact that he's usually in his earlier days, he's just chasing blocks, but um he definitely doesn't have the best basketball IQ, but no. the reason why I just favor the Blazers over the Grizzlies or the Pelicans is because they have a little bit more veteran experience. They've been to the playoffs before. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum can drop 50 on any night, and I just think they're the team that's most positioned to make a jump from here on out. And I certainly think that they're the team that can pose the most challenge to the Lakers. Um, I think it was Charles Barkley or Stephen A. Smith that said the Blazers are going to upset the Lakers in the first round, which I mm. think is kind of blasphemous, if, I'm, if I will <laughs> say so for myself. Stephen A.'s favorite word. But um, I don't see them beating the first seed, whoever it is, if you know the Clippers somehow did it. But they're not beating the Lakers, but – I do think they can force six six games in a good, reasonable state just because Nurkic is that much of a mismatch. AD is big, but he's not like as like strong. 
in terms of weight. So I, I believe Nurkic is a walking mismatch for anyone in the Western Conference. And you, you always have that X factor of um, Lillard or McCollum, like I said, popping off for 50 at any time. Well, how about the Carmelo dynamic? Like, how does, do you think he's a good fit with that team? I actually think Carmelo, for the most part, he's been pretty surprising to me because in his last couple stints with Oklahoma and then with Houston, he kind of got the rap as being like a diva, kind of similar to Iverson at the end of his career where he wanted the touches and, you know, he doesn't want to come off the bench. And the Blazers aren't bringing him off the bench right now, but I do think Carmelo is set in and he's all in into winning right now because he's at the stage of his career where he's not going to have a lot of seasons left. So he needs to make them count. And just in general, he's ready to do whatever the Blazers need him to do. And the Blazers desperately needed a third, like, you know, scoring option or a fourth scoring option behind, you know, their backcourt duo and Nurkic. And I think Carmelo provides that he can play a little bit off the ball. He can go into the post when they need him to. And, just in general, he's been playing a, a more concerted effort on defense. So the way I see Carmelo, he's he's not necessarily a role player for them. He's just kind of like a starter that can take shots. And you're not going to expect him to stop anybody, but he's going to provide effort on the defensive end. And that's basically why I think the Blazers have the best shot at getting the eighth seed and Although I'd still like to see, you know, like I said, Zion versus LeBron is the matchup I'd want to see. But I got the Blazers. You know, I would love to see that uh, Zion versus LeBron matchup too. But at the same time, I, 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 people need to – I feel like – and it's not his fault, but I do feel in some ways Zion is a little overrated just based off hype. Um, and I really just appreciate it the the work that the Memphis Grizzlies did this year. Um, I just love there are a lot of young, energetic pieces on that Memphis team. I mean, John Morant should be the rookie of the year, which we can talk about on another time. Um, and I just think Jonas Valanciunas is one of the most underrated centers in the league. Um, and I see them as just a hardworking, competitive young team. Um, I think I don't know if uh, um, Assist Winslow is going to play. I don't think he will. I really do hope so because I I really do think that he still has potential to do good things. I remember uh, when he was playing point guard for the Miami Heat, how exciting he was back then. But he he's been injury prone for the past uh, few years. Um, but I would love to see what he does. I don't know if he's going to play in this tournament. I but it'd be nice to see. But I just see Memphis as an underrated team. Um, and that's why I think that they could make some noise um, in this tournament. I don't think, think they're going to beat LeBron James and the Lakers, but yeah. And now we're just going to take a little short break. If you're a sponsor, this is where your message would be. So um, huh. if you have any sponsorship inquiries, please feel free to reach out. Till then, we are not sponsored by anybody. So um, enjoy this little break. So getting back into the podcast here, before we end it off, we just want to talk about a little a couple side notes that we haven't reached yet. Um, 
Have you seen the bubble food yet? Have you seen the food in the bubble? Yeah, they look like high school cafeteria food, which is surprising. I can't imagine a guy like LeBron James with his net worth eating that type of food. Like that's just the idea of that in my head is just funny. I think um, it's about the presentation of the food that kind of irks me. Um, I think it's got to be the containers that they're putting them in. It's just like these like gray biodegradable containers, which of course good for the environment, but it obviously doesn't look the most pleasing. For the most part, they're not, they don't have any like steel or um, silver utensils because um, they would be, they'd have to wash those things and whatnot. So they're using plastic, but I think like the food generally looks okay. Like honestly, People like Giannis have said, like, oh, I've had, like, way worse. You know, I've had to deal with, like, yeah, of course, had way worse. So I certainly don't think it should be an issue going forward. Although I will say I've been watching JaVale McGee's vlogs on YouTube. And that vegan, those vegan options sometimes do not look that good. And I, I can't really say from my own experience because I don't eat vegan. But some of the, like, the cauliflower steak, like, that didn't look good but don't get me wrong there, there is good options for them like they can get uh i believe if they put in a reservation they can get a breakfast at this like this seat like waterside um restaurant and the food there looks like looks really blessed you know like steamed eggs and they got like pancakes or waffles so i think the whole like perception of the food being bad in the bubble is kind of overblown. Um, and it's certainly coming from these athletes that have access to personal chefs and such like specific diets. Of course, it's going to be a big surprise and a little bit of a um, talking point around the league. But I think for the most part, it shouldn't be too much of an issue going forward. Um, really quick, because the seeding games are going to start soon, we're going to be into the playoffs fairly soon in mid-August. Who are your early, well, I guess not early anymore because we're pretty late into the season, but before you see the seeding games, who, do you, who are your early picks to win the bubble title? You know, there are a couple teams. Um, I think the Lakers are definitely a contender just strictly on the fact that, like, you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, and I just think that LeBron James is more determined than ever to win this championship with everything that's been going on and where he is at his career. He knows that he, he wants to, he's a very, he really cares about his legacy and he really, really wants this championship. So I think based on that alone, just, the Lakers are definitely a contender. You know, they they did lose Avery Bradley, but they did sign uh, J.R. Smith, and then they also previously signed uh, Deion Waiters. Um, we'll see what kind of production uh, they can provide for that team. Um, the depth of that team is a little questionable, in my opinion, but just the fact that they have Anthony Davis and LeBron make contender. I would also obviously have to say uh, the Clippers, having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, and then having guys like Montrezl Harrell and uh, 
when Lugo Williams come back, he will be obviously an important piece to that team. Um, and the Milwaukee, oh, sorry, the Milwaukee Bucks having Giannis, they are the best team uh, in the regular season. Um, we'll see how that translates into the playoffs, but obviously Giannis, the MVP in my opinion, but we'll talk, again, we'll talk about the awards later on. Um, they're obviously a good, deep team. Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe, Middleton, you know, the same guys. And I would definitely have to say the Raptors. Um, I think that the Raptors are definitely, I mean, they're the reigning NBA champions. Uh, they got a really deep team despite losing Kawhi Leonard. Um, OG Ananobi's playing. Um, Terrence Davis has emerged. I've been loving the play of Matt Thomas, who we'll be talking about a lot. Personally, he's a favorite of mine. Um, and they just have a great mentality, a focused mentality, the, the Toronto Raptors. Um, they've got the experience of winning a championship. You know, I really do believe they have no egos. Like, and Kyle Lowry's leadership has been infectious on that team. So despite what the other people say, you know, I definitely see the Raptors as a contender. And I would definitely say that's pretty much it. You know, there have been people try to mention uh, Boston. I'm still a little iffy about them, even though they do have the greatness of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker. Um, still not too fearful of that team. Definitely not the Philadelphia 76ers. That team is definitely a mess with uh, losing Jimmy Butler in the offseason and re-signing Tobias Harris and then signing Al Horford. Poor decision, especially with floor spacing. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, the Denver Nuggets are on the cusp, but I think the, even despite how well Bobo has been playing uh, just pre in these games, um, you know, I still think we, we're still a year away. Uh, would love to see the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. and how well he does. But overall, basically, my contenders are the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Raptors. Those are the four contenders. All right. Out of those four, who wins the title? I want the Raptors to win, but it's not guaranteed. Um, I think it'll be Raptors, Lakers. And then I want the Raptors to win, but I just think, especially with the stakes and how much the world would love to see it, um, I think the Lakers win it and LeBron wins his third title. Okay, so... Um, no, fourth title, basically, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you basically went through all of the contenders, which um, I was just going to mention the Raptors just because, you know, we're Raptors fans, but... I'll just uh, name some teams that sound kind of stupid in general and just see how people react. But uh, I think the Dallas Mavericks are low-key a dark horse. Get it? Mm -hmm. Dark horse. Um, <laughs> but no, all jokes aside, I think Luka and Porzingis is a intriguing matchup for anyone in the West because they're mm -hmm. two really talented basketball players, really good at that basketball thing. But I think just in general, they're a pretty solid team overall, and they haven't had their whole team the entire year, so they definitely benefited from the layoff and getting healthy, although Luca put on a lot of weight in quarantine, so that kind of, you know, it 
basically explains why this is like a joke prediction. But I got the Mavs, the Dark Horse contenders. Um, and then besides that, I was actually going to talk about Memphis too because they got himself Bull Bull had an amazing debut game. Well, Oh, you mean Nugget? The nugget. The, sorry, yeah. The Denver Nuggets uh, center Bull Bull had a pretty um, fantastic debut to say the least. Um, he's uh, running around in transition, pulling threes, the 7-2 small forward. I definitely think the Nuggets have like an interesting team going forward because they have Porter Jr., they have Bull Bull. Both guys are extremely injury-prone but are like low-key kind of like those demigod-type players. High-risk, high-reward. High-risk, high-reward. And they got Jokic running the point now, skinny Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um so they're definitely an interesting team, but uh, yeah, you, you know I had to sneak in a basketball pun there. So the yeah. Dallas Mavericks are the dark horse title contenders. And mm. with that, we're going to close it off. Thank you for listening or watching to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. I'm John Gallardo. I'm Jeffrey Tram. And we'll hope to see you next time for another episode. Till then, we're out.